0: Are you tired of your valuable ideas and suggestions getting lost in the shuffle? Well, that is why I'm introducing DirectSuggest, the revolutionary digital suggestion box that puts your voice front and center. With DirectSuggest, you have the power to make a difference in your organization. DirectSuggest provides value to organizations in various industries worldwide, including notable brands like Comcast, TD Bank, and Nokia. And here's the best part. Direct Suggest only costs $0.50 cents per employee per month, making it an affordable solution for businesses of all sizes. Plus, they have an incredibly high ROI and savings potential with an average 33 times return on investment. The implementation process is also a breeze. Once committed, setting up Direct Suggest from start to finish can be completed in as quickly as a week or less. Don't let your ideas or your team's ideas go unnoticed. Visit directsuggest.com today and start by making a difference with DirectSuggest. Use the promo code HUMANHR for your extended 60-day free trial. Again, visit directsuggest.com to learn more and remember to use promo code HUMANHR for an extended free trial. DirectSuggest, where your voice matters. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share this episode with a friend, whatever you have to do to get the word out, and make sure that you subscribe to my newsletter on hrtracy.com, that's Tracy with an I if you don't know. Now you know. Um, this week we are talking more about HR burnout and overwhelm. And I'm not doing it alone. I have an amazing guest to walk us through how to prevent and identify some of these things. So, Dr. Rebecca Eldridge is our guest this week. She is a licensed psychologist who integrates the science and practice of emotional well-being, cultural competence, and social justice into creating meaningful change. For the past 20 years, Dr. Rebecca Eldridge has supported clients and organizations to cultivate compassion for themselves as they bring compassion and impact to their work and communities. She's been honored to work with corporations, university departments, and refugee resettlement agencies, as well as hundreds of diverse clients. So welcome, Rebecca. We're so excited to have you. I think you are actually the first psychologist to ever grace the podcast, I think. I think.
1: What an honor. Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> yes, of course. I'm really excited to kind of break down this topic from really an expert's point of view, because of course, there are so many thought leaders, whether they're in HR or out of HR, in business, not in business, who have, you know, um, kind of cultivated their own careers and businesses and coaching around preventing burnout. But you are trained in the psychology behind all of this. So, I would love to just kind of hear from you how you got your got started in in all of this, but also what has led you to be interested in the burnout and self-compassion side of business.
1: Mhm. Well, I am one of the lucky ones who kind of knew what I wanted to do from way back when I was young, so I I had an early interest in understanding people and really focusing on not just the surface level of what people were doing, but what was behind that, what were the thoughts and the feelings and the experiences that had shaped them. And that really grew into the psychology practice that I have today. Specifically, though, the more that I've worked with leaders in human resources and and other fields as well that I often was seeing people at the point where they were so depleted, where where their work, their lives, their experiences had taken such a toll on them, that they were no longer feeling good about who they were, how they were showing up, the impact that they were having wasn't what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And you know I think about one client in particular who um, was really a leader in the HR field and yeah it was it was just exhausting her she was up against so many pressures and so many demands and in an environment where even as more and more was expected of her and she was one of the only people of the color one of the only women in the executive team you know just mm-hmm. a lot of things where she was facing a lot of internal as well as systemic challenges And the cost to her well-being was so great, you know, waking up every morning at 2 or 3 a.m., unable to get back to sleep, taking up a smaller and smaller space within her own life, exhausted and then getting more and more critical towards herself because she was like, why am I not doing everything I used to be able to do? Why is it taking me longer? Why am I less motivated, less productive? And so really internalizing the costs of the work that she'd been doing. And so experiences like that have really continued to motivate me to say, how can we get ahead of this? How can we more quickly realize when that depletion is starting to build up so that people don't have to get to the point where where they're so exhausted, where they have so little left to enjoy their lives, to, to be present with the people that they love, and to create the impact that they want to have around them. So that's been really influential as I've continued to focus in and really specialize in these areas.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it leads me to think about the um, probably fairly well-known quote: "When someone decides whether they're working to live or living to work." And mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think these last few years there's definitely been this awakening around what people value and what they want out of their experiences. And, you know, even from the perspective of, well, I don't want to live to work anymore. So how can I work to live? And so we've seen, you know, of course, like a huge shift, even in the uh, exodus of employees or people from different industries. I mean, there was just an article that I read today on CNN about educators who are leaving education, teachers who are leaving education in droves because of fear of um, violence in schools and mm-hmm. um, you know basically being exposed to dangerous environments on top of the actual workload and you know the the pay inequities that that many right. often cite when you know when we think about education. so it's it's definitely interesting to think about how these last few years have affected or impacted, um, people with, you know, when thinking about overwhelm and, and burnout.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's there's even this other layer, like as you're talking about that, where there's there's burnout and then there's also compassion fatigue. And those two can be separate, but they can also coexist. And so for people in professions mm-hmm. like human resources, therapists, healthcare professionals, teachers where there's so much of what they're doing that is responding to the trauma and to the stress in others' lives that eventually they can kind of absorb some of those same symptoms as if they'd been through it themselves. And Mm -hmm. so I think your point about what teachers are going through, and we're seeing the same thing in healthcare as well, like just people leaving professions where they can't keep up with everything and still live a life that feels healthy and meaningful for them.
0: Right. Right. I think it's, it's honestly, it's a great segue because when I think about that, that word compassion and like self-compassion, which I know you and I have spoken about before recording, there's probably like a, even a lack of understanding by many people as to what self-compassion really means Because Mm -hmm. especially for those of us in HR, you're right, we are in, most of us are in roles that are really requiring a lot of energy, whether it's energy to have to unfortunately terminate someone or energy to have to deal with someone's, you know, challenges that require our support or resourcing, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, that there is this like added level of compassion that is typically required, or hopefully present in, in HR professionals, uh, you know, reach, outreach and uh, response. But what exactly does self-compassion mean? And what does it mean when we say or when you say that we should honor our self-compassion or focus on being self-compassionate?
1: Mm, such a good question. And it's interesting because I was speaking not too long ago at a healthcare and human resources conference. And as part of that, we were talking about in order to talk about self-compassion, we need to talk about what is compassion. And the definition that I love is that compassion is an emotional response to someone else's real or perceived suffering and distress along with, really combined with the authentic desire to help. So mm. it's not just like you feel bad and I feel bad that you feel bad. It's not just empathy. And it's not just I'm doing something that helps somebody else, which would be more altruism. And it's benefiting somebody else, but I may or may not have an emotional attachment to it. But it's that, that combination where you're feeling something And the feeling itself is combined with the desire to do something to make it better. And most people can identify pretty readily where they feel that towards others and maybe also a little bit of where it's hard to feel that for others (laughs) at times. Um, But when I ask people, like, think about where it comes most easily to you, where where do you naturally respond to perceived suffering and want to do something about it? I would say, and I'm happy to be proven wrong on this. If anybody out there listening wants to prove me wrong on this, please let me know. Um, But I don't think most people come up with themselves. Like, oh, when I perceive my own distress, when I notice that I'm suffering, then I really feel motivated to do something to alleviate that, to do something Mm -hmm. to help myself out. So many more times, the clients or the people in workshops or people at conferences that I'm speaking to, right? It's like, they're giving that compassion to others. They're super motivated to help right. others with their suffering, but their own suffering, they're like, berating themselves for feeling it. Like, how come I'm not tougher? This shouldn't be bothering me. I need to just get more done. You know, how come I did that that way? You know, I should have known better. Like it's the internal voice is is rarely compassionate in those moments.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. I was even thinking to myself, like, would I cite myself if I were asked that question? And no, I don't think that I would. No, you can't prove me wrong. someone else. Yeah.
1: And I don't know, (laughs) maybe maybe, someone can.
0: Right. And maybe, maybe that's also like a, a womanly thing. I I think, I don't know if there are differences. I I certainly don't want to assume between like men and women, but I do think like, even just thinking about like my childhood My parents both took on, you know, like compassionate roles. Obviously, as being amazing parents, but there is like an added layer of understanding that there, like my mom didn't necessarily do as much for herself, whereas my dad found it a little bit easier to do things for himself. And Mm -hmm. you know, I my background is a little bit unique. I have a sister with special needs, so that adds a complexity to things. But when I think about, um, you know, translating that to business if if someone is in an HR role or they are in an industry that requires a, an uh, added or hyper amount of compassionate work, that mm-hmm. then there is that probably a steeper slope toward compassion fatigue, which leads me to my next question for you around how someone can identify if they have compassion fatigue. Is it truly like when you are Totally not phased by something, or is it deeper than that? And how does compassion fatigue kind of tie into this, like burnout and overwhelm?
1: Yeah, so so I'll start with the burnout piece because it might be easier to segue in that direction. And and I do want to say one of the pla- one of the quotes that I had read was that HR is the place where stress goes to live within an organization. <laughs> and so, you know, I have I, I have so much compassion for the people that I know in HR that that you know, I chose to get into the mental health field. Like I I knew what I was getting myself into, but but people who go into HR who suddenly are that receptacle for all of the stress and problems within the organization. So, some ways to recognize it Burnout is, it goes beyond just like, I feel bad for a couple days or like, gosh, I really could use a week or two vacation. Burnout is this accumulation of physical, mental, or emotional exhaustion, like this sense of not being as productive, not being as motivated, and also often negative attitudes about oneself or others Mm. when somebody's in that state. It can be accompanied by changes in eating and sleeping patterns, feeling less creative, and feeling more hopeless or withdrawn as well. And burnout itself is kind of by definition related to a disproportionate amount of work compared to like the person's time and resources and personal life. Compassion fatigue can show up in many of the same symptoms, but the difference is what's driving it, what's the source of it. And with compassion fatigue, it really is that it's experiencing those symptoms, but not just because of the proportion of work. It's because of the exposure to other people's stress Mm. and trauma and being in that role where you are pouring out compassion for others who are going through horrendous situations. And even though you're not the one going through it, you can start to show the same symptoms as if you had experienced it directly, which can also be called um, secondary traumatization.
0: Oh, interesting. Interesting. Really interesting. That's, I guess that also kind of plays a role, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the difference between empathy and sympathy, potentially, like if you're not really separating your own experience from the experience of others, just potentially because of the bandwidth that you have emotionally to do so. I don't know, I, I try to compartmentalize this in my brain because, you know, there is such a fine line in HR when you have to be empathetic, but not being overly empathetic. And and to me, whenever I hear overly empathetic, I think, well, if someone's overly empathetic, they're probably crossing into that sympathetic territory where then it's not necessarily helpful. It's a little bit more, you know, just feeling everything.
1: Yeah, I love, like, Brene Brown, her Atlas of the Heart work, where she really dives into those nuances between different types of emotional experiences. Like, I'm thinking of that as I'm hearing Mm -hmm. you talk about the empathy versus sympathy. The other thing that I would say related to that is, you know, empathy is... As an enormous strength and resource for connecting with people. And it, it serves us incredibly well in trying to form relationships and make improvements in the organizations and systems that we're working in. But it has to be uh, replenished. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, whether it's burnout, whether it's compassion fatigue, whether it's over empathizing, so to speak, like not having that kind of sense of this is what they're feeling and this is who I am and what mm-hmm. I'm feeling like not enmeshing with the other person's experience. Um, in that in that professional area, it's like if you're pouring that out over and over and over again for others, when, how, from who is that getting poured back in? Right. Because again, going back to that compassion or self-compassion piece, like if you recognize that you're starting to get more irritable, or you're feeling more tired more often, you don't have the same energy, you're not as focused, you're starting to feel really annoyed by the people that are coming to you and talking about their problems, right? Which is all normal things to experience, but also these start to play into the cues of are you listening to what you're feeling? And having that same compassion, that same emotional response and desire to tend to what you need that you're pouring out for others and making sure that you're not just completely emptying your reserves, you know, you're depleting your bank account without any deposits coming back in.
0: Right, right. One of the things that you said before, and all of that, I I also don't want to move on from that too fast because actually it all really resonates quite well how you can identify those symptoms um, and kind of recognize when you are either in that burnout zone or approaching the burnout zone. Um, And I'm sure for some people it translates into, I'm not happy at work. I need a new job when actually it might be something else. Like you might be perfectly fine in your role, but actually the reality is, is that you've not taken care of yourself in the way that you need to. So, in that, the the thought that I had, um, you know, kind of listening to your explanation there was that in the beginning of the recording today, you mentioned this word cost, that there is a cost mm-hmm. associated with all of these negative outcomes of not having enough self compassion or having enough time or making enough time for ourselves, right? Just at a high level, kind of recapping some of those things. And one of the things that we had spoken about before recording, too, was this idea of, like, when someone is pushing through, um, just pushing through the burnout, kind of just making it work, figuring it out, just trying to push through until the next milestone, until the next vacation, until the next day off. What are Mm -hmm. the costs of doing that? And, you know, especially for us in HR, there, you know, we many of us are individual contributors, but we are not siloed in our work. People are counting on us. It's not just HR people who uh, experience this, but obviously considering my audience, like we are, we are always being relied on for something. Um, Mm -hmm. And there, there's a lot of pressure there too, to rise to an occasion and just push through in order to be able to meet their standards or expectations. So what are the costs of just pushing through?
1: Well, numerically, I think that one of the costs is, I don't know, you Are very likely familiar with it, but I believe it was WorkVivo had done a study that found that 98% of human resources professionals had been burned out in the previous six months. Yes. So if you have like 98 out of 100 human resource professionals who are experiencing everything that we're talking about here, um, you know, the impact on their health, their wellness, their thoughts, their feelings, their functioning then clearly there's both the individual costs, um, costs like the risk of depression going up by 300% for somebody Mm -hmm. in an organization that's not prioritizing well-being, for example. Um, But There's also the organizational costs, the costs of turnover, the costs of you know, replacing the people that have left, the cost of having people that are missing time due to being sick, you know, and sometimes physically ill and sometimes just not as healthy to do their best work. And then from the nervous system perspective, which is how I do a lot of my work as well, you're also looking at if people are not in their optimal zone of functioning, if they're not able to think clearly and calmly and use all of their problem solving and ethical and moral reasoning skills and communicate effectively, which we really can only do from one state of our nervous system where we really get to have our optimal functioning, then you're looking at people who are more likely to misinterpret things, to make mistakes in communication, to be defensive or shut down. So both individually and collectively, um, you know, everybody's everybody's paying a price for this level of burnout. But I will say that there's there's one piece, there's one story that's attached to a statistic as well, but that really, I think, describes how absolutely urgent this is, which is related to a person that I was introduced to by a mutual friend about. A year ago now, and we we had this amazing conversation because he was working as a chief equity officer, and it, he, it was so clear that he cared so much about his team members and the work that they were doing. He had great ideas. He he had been in the field for a couple decades, but he was realizing that his team members were really struggling. Many of his team members were newer in the field and they were already showing a lot of the signs of strain. And so he was strategizing how to have retreats regularly and talking to me about coming to one of the retreats and just all the different ways that he was trying to attune and respond to their suffering. And we stayed in contact over the year because we were planning for these different events and he was always really responsive. And then it got to be later in the year and I sent him an email about one of the events and I didn't hear anything back. And it it struck me because it was out of the norm, but it was also towards the end of the year. So I'm like, you know, it's the holidays, people are exhausted. Like everybody's just trying to, you know, like finish out the year. So I didn't do anything with that at that point. And I circled back in January. And at that point, the email bounced back. And I tried again and it bounced back and I reached out to the mutual friend who had introduced us. And I asked, you know, has, has he changed companies? And I found out that he had died suddenly of a medical crisis
0: Hmm.
1: right around the time I had emailed him at the end of the year and not gotten a response. And while that is an extreme example. There is data that shows, for example, that people who experience injustice in the workplace have about twice the levels of burnout as people who don't. And also that people who experience injustice in the workplace have odds of suffering a major health disease that goes up to 55%. Wow. So 55% odd of suffering a major health disease. And I knew that statistic before, and I was seeing people dealing with, you know, increase in rates of diabetes and shortness of breath and, you know, gaining weight because they couldn't be as active as they wanted to be and not feeling as healthy in their bodies. And so there's there were all of these other pieces of evidence that supported that. And like, I cannot look at that statistic the same way again, because when you're looking at really the an ultimate cost is that not taking care of ourselves, not taking care of each other, not creating work environments that are really centered on well-being has costs that I don't even want to begin to measure.
0: Yeah. It's important for any business to focus on their culture, employee well-being, and strategic growth. But without the proper tools, it can be next to impossible to support the people behind your success. That's why you need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that empowers you to engage and develop your people in an intuitive platform. Namely's award-winning technology covers your essential HR, payroll, and compliance needs in one place. Whether you have 20 or 1,000 employees, Namely's modern and integrated platform is designed to be used by everyone, every day. With a mobile app and elegant UI, Namely empowers employees with self-service tools to request PTO, acknowledge peers, review pay stubs, and enroll in benefits. Namely helps you easily handle everything from onboarding, payroll, time tracking, open enrollment, employee engagement, and so much more. So you can get the time and data you need to drive the initiatives your company really cares about. Namely will be a game changer for your business and your team. Learn how you can simplify your HR processes today at Namely.com. That's Namely.com. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shout outs and kudos, employee introductions and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com humanhr. That's GetCultureBot.com slash HumanHR to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Oh Well, I'm really sorry about his loss. I mean, it sounds like he was doing some amazing things and had intentions to do some amazing things, but mm-hmm. it's a, a really great reminder that we get one life. And we get one uh, shot at it, one moment to figure it out and make the most of it. And, you know, coming back to what I had said around, like, you know, working to live versus living to work, when we focus on the former, then hopefully we are creating more boundaries. I mean, I'll share uh, while we're sharing here, I'll share a personal anecdote. I realize we are recording this in June Um, but this episode will come out probably a little bit later than this summer. And, uh, one of the things that I experienced in the last few months was pretty intense burnout. I'll say I've been covering Mm -hmm. for a maternity leave, which is a wonderful thing. However, Mm -hmm. we totally poorly planned and we should have brought in someone temporarily to support because, you know, obviously it's enough to have one job, let alone to have two
1: especially extra in person's job yes
0: yes especially in, when hr teams are already lean and i want to bookmark that in my mind because i do have a question about what some of the causes of burnout outside of compassion fatigue What that what that could be so i'll bookmark that uh just mm-hmm. remind me if i don't remember but um i was feeling so burnt out i think i'd actually might have i might have shared this on a podcast episode in the past but I was like totally not interested in doing my podcast, which is very strange for me because I love my podcast. I've been doing it for three years. I didn't have any energy in the morning to get up, to work out, anything. I was like totally a different person. And mm-hmm. when people would reach out to me at work, I would find I didn't have as much patience. Obviously, I didn't respond with a lack of patience because I still was able to uh, manage my emotions, but I was like totally irritated by every single thing and I realized this thankfully very quickly because I was like this is just totally unlike me why am I acting this way and there was a moment where I thought am I just not happy at work is it the job and I was and my husband and I both were like no that's not it like I love my job and I love my podcast this is very clearly a result of not doing enough for myself." While doing too much for everybody else. And so I took some measures. I mean, I like added someone to my podcast team to help me take off essentially like 10 hours of work a week off of my plate. And I had this like new lease on life. That's essentially what Mm -hmm. it felt like. And Mm -hmm. now that my coworker is returning from maternity leave fairly shortly, I have this like revived spirit that, oh man, I won't be bearing this load on my own anymore And so I, I, you know, I don't always share that openly about my current experience because I never want someone, if I'm working with, you know, there could be colleagues of mine that listen to my podcast. I never want them to feel like there's something that they have to worry about when they reach out to me because all they have to do is know that I'm a resource. But I think it's really important for my listeners to know that it is totally normal, to your point to feel the, 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 all of these symptoms when you are experiencing burnout and you know, to kind of come back to the story that you shared about that unfortunate loss of a, this chief equity officer. The reality is is that if you don't there, if you don't recognize these things as they're happening, if you don't work to prevent burnout, if you don't create good boundaries and balance between your work and your personal life, there will be consequences whether extreme or not extreme and those consequences can build on themselves so um that's my experience with burnout i'm glad that i'm yeah. out of it now yeah so
1: me too and it sounds yeah. like what you described like that that makes such a huge difference when you can recognize quickly that this isn't me, but something else is going on here. And then instead of being reactive to it, like really kind of explore it and be responsive to it yeah. so that you could target what, what is the change? Do it, you know, you could have just been like, okay, I need to quit my job. You know, I need to go on sabbatical. I, I need right. like the next six months off. But it turns out it didn't need to be quite that extreme. Like right. you did need to make some adjustments and it sounds like you did a great job figuring out what those were and then being able to recover that much more quickly as a result.
0: Thank you. Yes, I, I think I I am pretty proud of, my, not I think, I know I am proud of myself for being able to realize that this wasn't just like a a lack of passion, but actually that this was just a total lack of um space in my life to take on anymore and to, Mm -hmm. to even uh, that I needed to essentially process through all of the things that I was feeling, figure out where, and, and figure out where they were coming from. And of course things are never just black and white. There's always a complexity to anyone's burnout. I mean, people, for example, if someone is a caregiver, like I shared my, I come from a family with a, I have a sister with special needs and I have many friends who are caregivers either to Parents or siblings or children. And those are some complex situations where burnout can happen on a much shorter fuse. So, you know, I think the reason why I was so excited about this episode is because there are ways that we can prevent those things. So, I really have two final questions for you. But before I talk about or ask about um, how we prevent these things, I want to remember what I bookmarked in my mind, Mm -hmm. which is, are there I guess let me let me preface by saying I was thinking before, like in the 1950s, in the 1960s, did people feel burnout when there was arguably more of a balance between home life and personal life? Women were starting to enter the workforce much more readily and uh, consistently. And obviously, these are very generalized statements here. There was a lot going on at the time. It's easy for us to look at history through our present day lens. And I'm certainly not trying to do that, but just generally speaking, We entertain this idea did burnout come from this elevated sense of expectation and minimal budget in the sense that teams became leaner, expectations became greater, companies started to maybe shrink their budgets? And so all of that, like all of that pressure falls on a few people, depending on the size of an organization, to make the same amount of effort or drive the same amount of effort and have the same if not better results as previous years. So the reason why I prefaced with did burnout exist in the past is because I wonder is there some correlation to the way that business has been operating in the United States specifically or if it's just totally not relevant to that and burnout has always existed and it's just relevant to the type of industry or the way that the Industry or the business is operating.
1: Hmm, that's a really good question, and I'll I'll respond to the parts that I feel like I have actual information on. I I don't know about the fifties and sixties or like historical perspectives because I do think we would have to look at the cultural context, which yeah. varied a lot. Men and women, white people and people of color, right. um, people from dominant group religions sexual orientations ability right. statuses like so so i don't know that i have the data to make any generalizations about that what i do know is that like the world health organization recognized it as a major issue just more recently and so perhaps that speaks to either how it's being defined or measured or tracked really showing up in a very visible way more recently within the past few Mm. years and so that's one piece of data that we could look at and say okay like there's something about this that's definitely gathering more attention and Yeah. And then we do have people like women, for example, who are taking on more and more professional roles and career lives, but aren't necessarily decreasing the amount of family roles or family life responsibilities that they're Mm -hmm. doing. And in fact, are even more often in positions of caring for both youth and elders simultaneously. And so in some ways we're looking at you know, an expansion of what people are expecting of themselves or expecting of each other, in a very stressful contexts, without um, supporting what the nervous system needs in order to feel calm and safe and clear and connected, in order to to figure out even how to problem solve and make sense of and make decisions about all of that. And then there's um, <laughs> there's a number of different kind of key categories that contribute to burnout, like unfair treatment at work or unclear role responsibilities, um, disproportionate work compared to time, uh, added bureaucratic tasks and burdens. So there's there are a lot of the different pieces, but then some of them are very industry specific as well. So if we look at what human resources is having to deal with over the past few years, from the pandemic and huge X, depending on which, which um, kind of industry you're in of human resources, but so many industries have been just losing so Mm -hmm. much of their staff. And then that falls on human resources. How are we going to hire? How are we going to fill? How are we going to replace? Right. And then you're dealing with people with added physical and mental and emotional burdens of the stress of the pandemic and very contentious issues around creating policies for vaccinations or masks and what do we do in this online work environment versus in-person work environment. And even though we say we're post-pandemic, at least in this part of the world, we are still dealing with a lot of the ramifications of that. So human resources carries a lot of stress and I'm sure I'm not telling you anything. You don't yeah, already I'm sorry, know. I was having
0: some flashbacks there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Sorry yeah. Yes. I'm not trying to re-traumatize anybody <laughs> yeah, right. here, anybody listening, just to to acknowledge the enormous amount of stress, the legitimate stress and burden that you've been carrying. Right. And that you absolutely need and deserve to respond to your own needs so that you can keep going.
0: Right. Right, I'm sure that the, many of us were like thinking about those months and, and years where we were managing through all of that. I mean, I did so many episodes. that's I started my podcast in 2020 as so mm. many people started something at that time. Uh, and it was I, it's kind of nice to have the time capsule, so to speak, but also it just feels like a fever dream, like something that was like a blip in time. That I remember to, took all of my energy and soul and everything mm-hmm. seven days a week, essentially working from the moment my eyes opened to the moment my eyes closed at night. Oh. And uh, I was not alone. My husband is in healthcare. So, you know, this is the, it put into perspective what I was doing versus what he was doing on the front line. And so I was like, oh, this isn't, at least I can work remotely. But the reality mm-hmm. is, is that there are so many people especially those in HR who are uh supporting the the people who are on the front line and some at some degree or to some degree. So yeah, I'm sure many of us were like uh I don't know, you know, I'm a 90s kid so we had this show that's that's so raven and there she mm-hmm. was um she could see the future and so there were moments where she would in the show like look to the side essentially. And it would like go into this time warp and she would see the future. And that is how I would describe my mind, what my mind just went through (laughs) as you were talking about the past few years. So for any other nineties kids, I'm sure they know exactly what I'm saying when I talk about that uh, moment in the show. But anyway, I digress. My final question for you today is really how can we take all of this knowledge that you've given us and work to prevent burnout, work to prevent compassion fatigue, and focus on and improve our Mm -hmm. self-compassion.
1: It's so so important. So one of the favorite tools that I use when I'm working with people is on mapping out their individual nervous systems. Because even if we talk about general signs of stress or compassion fatigue um, or burnout, like you still need to know what your body thought mind emotions does when you're under stress. And so in the way that you talked about it earlier, like I loved how you were able to recognize this isn't me. Like you could recognize that the way that your body and thoughts and mind were responding under stress was not characteristic of who you are as a person. And so I people map it out and they get such different flavors of responses. Mm-hmm. So even if we're looking at fight or flight mode, for example, when people are like, what is, what's happening for we, me when I'm in fight or flight mode, which is where the body is really activated and like ready to move to to somehow protect from danger through action. And for some people, they describe like, oh, I'm like, at the gym for hours a day. I'm like a gym rat. I get super OCD in my thoughts or like I cannot eat or sleep. I'm like super focused on problem solving even though it feels like I can't think clearly enough. Like the connections in my brain are broken. And then for another person, it, it might be I I get into a super like fast-paced, anxious, rushed thoughts and I start speaking like I'm lecturing everybody that I'm talking to. Hmm. And those are actually real examples from from different people, Hmm. but you can see like the same state of the nervous system, but everybody has a little bit of a different nuance and flavor. So the more that you can get to know your own nervous system, the more that you can develop a roadmap of, oh, wait, this landscape is different all of a sudden, right? Like, what, what does this mean? Oh, okay. I... I know I'm not where I want to be, but I also, I recognize where I am. Then you know how to navigate back. And that's the same, whether we're talking about fight or flight mode, there's also the mode that's related to conservation, which is more of a shutdown mode, which depending on what state of your nervous system you're in, you're having completely different thoughts, feelings, sensations in your body. So what's most important is for each person to not judge, not add to their distress by judging and critiquing and getting down on themselves for not feeling their best, but to do more of what you said of, okay, I recognize that I'm not feeling my best. How can I be responsive to this? How can I bring that compassion of tuning into this? What is this trying to tell me? There's A form of reflection called felt sense, which is really kind of a listening inward, but not just listening to what's going on up here in your mind, the racing thoughts and analysis, because this is not all coming from a spreadsheet where you're Mm. figuring out like, hmm, I think like based on these stressors and these circumstances, I think I'd really like to go into fight or flight now. I think that's my best option. right? It's like, no, this is just happening behind the scenes. And before you know it, you're in it. But the more quickly you can recognize that you're in it, then the more you can say like, okay, what is this about? What is this instead of working against me? How might this be working for me? What is this trying to show me or tell me that I need more of right. or that I need less of or that I need to shift? And you, by listening to that, you can then use those conversations, use that relationship, build trust that your body is not trying to destroy you, that it is also interested in survival, and work together to move back towards that state of safety. And I think that that internal voice piece of it is pretty huge. Um, You know, if we think about the tone of voice that we would want to hear from somebody else, Mm or that we give to somebody else when they're stressed talking in ways that are simple, soft and slow tend to be messages of more safety and calming that help to reset that's very rarely what an internal voice sounds like. And Mm -hmm. in my honored experience of being privy to hearing lots of people's kind of internal worlds, that's not usually the tone that we're using with ourselves internally. And another way to just calm the body down and tune into what you need is through the breath. Because Mm. while 20% 20% of our messages go from our brain to our body, about 80% of the messages go from our body to our brain. And a lot of those messages we don't get to exert direct control over. Like we don't get to tell our, you know, liver to like hurry up a little <laughs> bit down there or like check in with our spleen on how that's functioning at this moment right. and tell our digestion when to slow down or speed up. But our breath is something that we can more directly influence and shift. And so if somebody just wants like a really lightweight, easy to use, travels with you anywhere you go tool, then slowing down the exhale when you're breathing, that is a direct message that sends Safety signals of safety from your body to your brain, and can help to alleviate some of the immediate cloud of stress, so that you can get back to a state from which you can really more effectively problem solve about what else you might need.
0: Wonderful! I think those are amazing, amazing tips, and I feel very relaxed um, after listening to you. I think maybe your your uh, slow and also super calm. And just like your inflection, it just all is very relaxing. So I'm sure that many listeners are like, you know what? I could totally try the breath exercise because Dr. Rebecca Eldridge told me to, and I'm going to do it. Um, So I'm sure you've gotten that before, but I feel very
1: relaxed. So thank you for this recording time. Thank you. It's always nice to hear. And and yeah, there's so many different tools, but sometimes just starting with the most simple, easy to use ones is a good place when you're feeling burned out or compassion fatigued.
0: Totally. And I love what you said about uh, how your breath is something that you can take with you everywhere and that, you know, the ability to uh, really exercise control over that one element of your body is a a great thing. And for anyone Mm -hmm. who wears an Apple watch, I I wear an Apple watch. I have this, uh, you know, it's like a mindfulness. I'm trying to show it on the camera, a mindfulness, uh, app. It it just closed, but basically you can choose the type of mindfulness that you want to do. And it always reminds me, I I'm from New Jersey, so I talk really fast um but i have a very low resting heart rate but sometimes if something you know excites me it's like uh, hey maybe you should take a breath here <laughs> and so i'm like actually that's a great reminder <laughs> so um if you if anyone does have any technology that's wearable you know it's another great way to send a reminder potentially to yourselves as well to take those yeah, moments get some biofeedback going yes exactly exactly well, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Where can the listeners connect with you if they want to learn more or um, even connect with you about their own uh, challenges and maybe have a conversation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, there's a few different options. LinkedIn is a place where definitely connect, send me a message, a question, You know, follow. That's a good place to connect with me. My website also has a contact form on it, as well as describing a lot of the services that I do with individuals, but also in trainings and facilitations for organizations and groups, and then a small group program called Chrysalis. So a lot of that information is there and people can say what information they're wanting to learn more about. And then one of the things that I think over the past few years has been a particular source of stress is having really tense conversations on difficult topics mm. and if we look at how people's relationships sometimes even with their closest friends or families have gotten really disrupted by the volatility and tensions of the current socio-political yeah. climate I have a free resource that I would encourage everybody to take advantage of and it's on five ways to speak up and it's really focused on five ways to speak up that Honor your own needs so that you can feel good about what you're saying and how you're saying it, as well as being productive and compassionate and respectful in the conversation so that the conversations actually have an opportunity to be productive and beneficial for both parties. So that can be downloaded at rebeccaephd.com backslash five, the number, ways, W-A-Y-S. Amazing. the five ways to speak up.
0: Amazing. And I will have all of those resources linked in the show notes as well. For anyone who uh, didn't have a pen and paper or you didn't pause it, just uh, hit the show notes and you can get those links directly. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining. Um, and I'm sure this is not the last time that we will chat, but I really, really appreciate you um, just expanding our knowledge of what all of this means and how we can be better to ourselves and demonstrate some more self compassion Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation.
0: Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week. And maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next week.